And I've seen that, you know, revert to as a best practice. To me, that is so alien and unnatural for 95% of the population that why would you tell people to do that? They never do it when they're in the hallway talking to people. Why would they do it when they're in front of the room? Welcome to Making It to Market, the podcast where we discuss everything about taking your product or service idea through to commercialization. I'm your host, Dahlia Collada. We can't help but to love the psychology around body language and the use of voice. In the last episode, you learned how to customize your pitch to the right audience and began preparing your conversation. Well, we're back again with Kevin Palo, president of Deliberate Consulting. He is a corporate storyteller and speaker coach extraordinaire. This is the third episode in our four-part series for Making the Pitch. If you missed the previous episodes, you may want to go back as these four episodes are sequential. There's so much to learn from Kevin, so stick around till the end. Today, we'll be discussing how body language and voice are just as important, if not more than your actual slide deck. Kevin also has some pretty good tips for Zoom meetings. Information, links, and transcripts from today's episode are available in the show notes. Let's get into it. Say, so let's take a PowerPoint presentation out of the equation, and this is just a phone call that you're making or an in-person meeting. What things should I know about controlling my body language and my voice and my pitch? And does that even matter, really? It does. matters a lot. So... You know, and if you're on LinkedIn at all, you'll probably see this pop up about once a month, but a big percentage of, of your message is conveyed through body language. So like about 50% comes from your body language. And then about 40% comes from your voice. And only 7% comes from your content. And all of, our, all of our effort typically goes into our content, our slides, right? So whether you're using slides or not, even if you are using slides, it only makes up a small percentage of your actual message that's delivered. You as the messenger are much more important coming across. So it sounds like I need to spend a lot more effort on me first and then the message. Well, those two go hand in hand. So okay. you know, with, with, with the body language, it's not that your content and the and what you're saying is less important than your body language and your voice. The key thing to take away here is that those things have to be aligned. So maybe a better way of putting it is rather than saying body language is more important, is that body language conveys the message in a significant way. And what I mean by that is... I can say it clearer than that, is if I go in and I've got resting bitch face, and most people do when they're presenting, they're Mr. Serious, because this is a serious topic and I'm anxious on top of it. And so we sit there with kind of a scowl on our face and we're, we're you, know, you know, we don't show any positive emotion at all. And we say things like, I'm very excited about this. This is going to revolutionize the industry. Well, lizard brain sitting in the audience hears you say i'm excited about it but your body language and voice show zero excitement which one are they going to believe yeah it doesn't match doesn't match there's the problem right and 
you know, for work, I travel a lot, or I can say used to before COVID. And at home, I've got my wife, my mother-in-law, my daughter living with me. And I come home from a trip and, you know, they've all been arguing because they're all exactly the same. And they all want me to be on their side when they, when I get home, imagine I get home from my trip and I walk in, I put down my bag and I look at my wife and I say, Hey, I, uh, I really missed you. Did, uh, <laughs> everybody get along. Um, love you. How well would that go over? It would, right? Lack of enthusiasm. I don't believe you. my butt right out the door. Even though I'm saying all the right things, it's the way I'm saying it, right? You know, we see that with people all the time when they, when they apologize. Well, I'm sorry. No, you're not sorry. You said you're sorry. You're not sorry, right? And so the same thing happens in when we're in front of a room. We, The body language and your voice has to be aligned with your message. If you're excited about something, like, you know, you've got to smile, if it's a, 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 you know, talking about missing your financial forecast or there's an injury on the job site, well, then you should show a, a, an unhappy look on your face as well. But the research also shows that people's, when, when an audience can see the speaker's face and expressions, they understand the language much faster. That has an impact. Same thing with gestures. Gestures help people understand faster as well. And some of the mannerisms we have can distract from what we're saying. For example, if you're standing behind a podium and you're hiding your body, all they see you is from the chest up. As a presenter, I feel better because I've got a shield in front of me. And so yes. when people throw rocks at me, I've got a shield to hide yeah. behind. It's an emotion, emotional crutch. It's an emotional crutch. But what yep. does lizard brain receive in the audience? He's hiding something. When we have our hands behind our back or in our pockets, lizard brain is, is receiving that as he's hiding something. Those can be issues, right? So we, what we want to do with our body language is let's remove distractions from what we're saying. And things that are distracting are typically things that are repetitive. Examples here. If you've ever seen someone on a stage, there's a couple of mannerisms I typically see. I call the Texas two-step. <laughs> one step forward, okay. one step back. One step forward, uh -huh. one step back. And they do this for the entire presentation. And pretty soon, people are doing hash marks on how many times I'm stepping oh forward, <laughs> stepping back. Or the variant of that is the caged, or not the cage, the chained elephant where you take one step left, one step right the uh -huh. entire time. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Young parents often rock themselves because they're used to rocking the, you know, their their baby at home to get them to go to sleep. Oh. It's like a self-soothing. It's self-soothing, but it becomes distracting to the audience. Uh -huh. Other variations I see are the the cage tiger. And so when there's like a, a stage. You know, like a big conferences, the person who's stalking from side to side the entire time. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. It's so distracting. So distracting. It's that repetition that's distracting. That's a problem. Gestures, gestures generally are good, but sometimes they get ridiculous. We, you know, our arms are up in the air and waving around. 
that can actually be okay if you're using it to make a point. Or if you're, again, if you're on a stage in front of 300 people, having big gestures is a good thing because people in the back of the room can see it. The bigger the venue, the bigger the gestures you can make. But I've also seen people do weird things like people counting on their fingers as they're talking, even though they're not making specific points, it's just a nervous habit. Or the knife hands, right? Things like that can be, can be distracting for your audience. So we wanna, we wanna avoid anything that's distracting. As far as your face goes, we're gonna start with our eye contact. You need to make eye contact with your audience. Uh, this, is, this is for live audiences, but you know, when you're in the room with them, but share the love. Sometimes when people are presenting, they only look at the decision maker because that's who they've got to convince and they ignore everyone else in the room. Everyone else in the room notices that and doesn't like it because why am I even here? He's not talking to me. And for the decision maker, it's creepy because you're just staring them down. Oh, it's so creepy. So creepy. After a few seconds, it gets awkward. So what I want is for you to share eye contact with everyone in the room. And don't do the sprinkler head where you're constantly moving. Look at one person, make your point, and then look at someone else as you talk about your next point. And then on your third point, look at someone else. Right? Make meaningful eye contact for a few seconds, but not to the point where it starts to get, you know, making them uncomfortable. So eye contact, really, really important. In Zoom, I want you to get used to looking at your camera. So like I'm doing right now with you. Like you're doing right now. So for those of you who are listening in, we're doing the recording through Zoom. So I'm looking at Kevin and he's looking at me, but I'm actually looking at Kevin and not into the camera. That's okay. And I know Kevin's looking into the camera because I can, he's. <laughs> I'm looking into the camera because yeah, yeah, you can see me, you can see it direct, yeah. right? <laughs> I need to, I need to, I need to bring your face up closer to my camera so that it looks like that. maybe I can figure out how to do that. <laughs> Well, you know, it's okay because I can see you peripherally in, in, in the Zoom window, but I'm actually looking at, at the camera. So I'm looking at the dot, right? So I can't tell mm -hmm. if you're looking at me or not. But as a presenter, I need it to seem like I'm looking at you directly. And how many people mm -hmm. in a Zoom call are actually looking at their second screen because it's bigger? You see it all the mm -hmm. time, right? Where the presenter isn't even looking at the camera. And it just, it feels off-putting when I'm in the audience and I see someone doing that. And what that means is when I'm sharing content on Zoom, I've got to have the content I'm sharing on the same screen that's got the camera. And I'm actually not looking at my content. Now I may look down just to get a reference point, but then I look at the camera again because I want it to appear like I'm making eye contact. All right, so that's, that's eye contact. Smiling, I need you to smile. Your energy sets the energy level for the entire room. If you're not excited about your topic, there's no reason your audience should be. So, and you should walk into the room smiling. Don't just do it when you're on, on the clock and everyone's staring right. at you. You need to bring that energy from the beginning. Because yep. if you don't, then people see that and they, they, they think you're being inauthentic. Mm -hmm. She's lying to me because now she's smiling. But before when I met her in the hallway, she was, she was not smiling mm -hmm. right we want it to be authentic smiling needs to be authentic don't do the creepy you know the creepy smile that's a fake smile everyone can tell because there's no crinkling in the corner of your eyes unless you have botox, you have botox. <laughs> and then you won't and then you won't have any crinkling <laughs> fair enough so you know, it's, it's I, I need you to smile though i need i need you to show some positive enthusiasm at appropriate times when you're telling stories, that's a great place to smile because you, 
you tend to, to, you know, either you're talking about something great that happened or using a funny analogy or something else. And that can, that's a natural place to smile when you're talking about the benefits or the value to your audience and what, what's in it for them. Those should be good things, right? So you should smile there as well. One of the things I, I find interesting is back when I was traveling a lot before COVID is I would test the smiling when I went to an airport because generally in the airport, everyone is harried. They're trying to get to their gate or get down to baggage claim. They're, you know, they're, everyone's in a rush. And so everyone tends to look at the ground as they're walking so that they don't run into people. And I, I decided to run an experiment. I'd walk through the airport with a, just a big goofy grin on my face and I'd try to make eye contact with people. And it was funny, someone would be walking towards me and they'd see my feet and they'd look up and I'd be have this big goofy smile on my face. People could not help but immediately smile back. And then they continued on their way. It's so simple. Something so simple, right? And so when you smile, your audience tends to smile too. And the research, again, is really interesting around this. When we smile, we feel better. Conventional wisdom is we feel better or we smile when we feel better, but we also feel better when we smile. So, smile. I'm with Kevin Palo of DeliberateConsulting.com. Stick around till after the break. You don't want to miss his advice for non-native English speakers. We'll be right back. ask you a question on the hand gesture something that I see often um, and I don't know if this is taught somewhere and that's where people are getting this from but making shapes with their hands like the steeple and creating a point with their hands to show dominance I'm guessing or, or like crossing arms folding your arms together and I like can you talk a little bit more about the different hand gestures that people give one of my concerns is people tend to try to practice this to manipulate others. Okay. And, you know, so Steve Jobs was known for this. He would, like, when he was practicing for a, to give a presentation, he would practice so much, he knew exactly where he was going to be standing when he would say a specific word and what gesture he was going to use. Most of us do not, do not have weeks to prepare for a single speech. And when we do, if we get that practice to where we know exactly what gesture we're going to use at a very specific time, it comes across as inauthentic. It comes across as so polished that it's manipulative. So that's, that's a danger. If you're really, really good and make it seem authentic, because let's be honest, if you're planning to do this gesture at a certain time, is that authentic conversationally? No, it's planned. It's contrived. You know, I, I would recommend try not to practice what specific gestures you're going to use to make a specific point. You know, with gestures, gestures are good, but they should feel natural. Most of us, when we're talking, we're moving our hands all the time. I want you to do the same thing when you're presenting. Use your hands, but some there are gestures that, that can be off-putting for your audience. And just by being aware of it can help us reduce use of it so it doesn't distract the audience. So like the, the praying, you know, lots of times, so uh, again, let's think of it from lizard brain perspective, the, the subconscious part of the, of the brain of the audience. When you're doing this, it's almost like you're saying, please, please like me. Please select my product. And is that the tone we're trying to set? Generally not. Putting your, your hands behind your back, like I said, 
it's, the lizard brain reads that as you're hiding something, right? So the little things like that can have an impact. In general, I prefer if I'm not using my hands to, to gesture, they're just down by my side. And it feels so uncomfortable and weird and vulnerable standing there with my hands by my side versus crossed across my chest or in my pockets or behind my back. It just feels odd. But from you know the audience's perspective, you're just open. You know, and I've, I've heard you know, recommendations on things like launching questions out to the audience and then receiving them back and look like you're catching the answer from the, from the audience. And I've seen that you know, referred to as a best practice. To me, that is so alien and unnatural for 95% of the population that why would you tell people to do that? They never do it when they're in the hallway talking to people. Why would they do it when they're in front of the room? Now, for some people, they do do that in conversation yeah. naturally. And in that case, it is authentic. Continue on with that. But, you know, lots of times we, we see what we, you know, what we hear are best practices and we try to emulate them, but they're not natural for us. And the audience can tell. You know, things like, like put, you know, don't put your hands in your pocket. You know, people will lose their minds when one of their colleagues puts their hands in their pockets while they're presenting. You know what? It's not the end of the world. If it happens, it happens. Okay. Is it preferred? No, but it's not the end of the world. Don't get so stressed about it. Particularly if you're trying to give a very informal tone, hands in your pockets can be a good thing. If it matches the message that you're sending. But if you leave your pockets, your hands in your pockets for five or 10 minutes, after five or 10 minutes, the audience starts thinking, what the hell's in his pockets? Right. And now it's becoming distracting. So, you know, don't, don't get too hung up on best practices. Just try to start identifying and weeding out the things that you're doing that might be distracting to your audience. And it's funny, I was in a conversation one time with someone at a workshop and I had my finger in front of my lips. And the person I was talking to kind of called me out and said, you know, research shows that people that cover their mouth do it because they're, they're, they're lying. And so I, you know, and I realized, I, I knew why I had my finger over my mouth. And so I explained, I go, well, yeah, some of the research shows that when you're talking, if you cover your mouth partially, it's like a subconscious cue that you're not telling the truth. I go, but when I'm listening, I find I physically put my finger in front of my mouth to keep me from interrupting. It forces me to listen versus to respond, right? But for that person, it meant a different thing. So there, you know, there, there are things to be aware of. Maybe cultural differences too, like different hand gestures might mean some very ugly things in some other cultures. <laughs> the o, the okay. Yeah, the thumbs up or the middle finger or the okay sign. Yeah. All right. So, are you ready to talk about voice? You know, there's a lot of different things we can do with our voice. We can change our pitch. We can go higher and lower. That's one thing that we can do. We can change our pace or our speed as we're speaking. We can change our volume. We can pause. So those are all different things that we can do with our voice. For pitch, we want to have some modulation. We want to have higher tones and some lower tones as we go. Because if we talk, let's, let's do an extreme case where we're very, very monotone and we're talking like this for an hour. Well, the brain is very good at shutting out background noise. And if you're a monotone speaker, 
your voice becomes like background noise because it's not changing. That's a problem. So you want to be able to change your pitch to make you sound more vision or more interesting from a from an auditory standpoint. When you're in a Zoom call or you're on a conference call where they can't see you at all, it's you can exaggerate your pitch even more, almost cartoon-like. You can get really crazy with the voice because you have to overcome the fact they're missing the visual cues from seeing you. Right. Like in in this instance right now, people listening in only. Yep. So I'm, I'm trying to really accentuate some of those pitches that I'm doing just to make it sound a little more interesting. Where this is really hard is if you're presenting in a second language. And so there's a lot of folks in the U.S. who have come from other places and they may be a a native Spanish speaker. Now they're speaking in English and it's harder to modulate pitch and tone because you're more concerned about pronunciation and using right words. Mm -hmm. So it's harder. And I recognize that. Let's talk about accents for a second. A lot of people are really, really self-conscious of their accents. And my advice to them is, look, if someone hears you have an accent, they also recognize that this is probably not your native language and you get extra credit. You do it. get extra credit. You do. Well, there are some people that are very impatient too, but I would say the majority are pretty forgiving. The majority are forgiving or more than forgiving are, you know, like I said, give you extra credit for it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've had so many people apologize for their accents and I go, Hey, look, you're, your English is a hell of a lot better than my Spanish. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So don't, don't get too hung up on it. And, and, but it does mean it's harder to do the pitch. So what can, what else can we do that's different? Well, we can change our volume. So sometimes it's okay to raise your voice when you're making a point. But not the whole time. <laughs> Please don't no, do it the whole time. When you're a jerk, you're just being aggressive. Right? It's all caps. Talk. Too many caps. Too many caps. If you're using it to make a specific point, that's fine. But then go back to a normal, normal volume. And sometimes when you're talking about something really important, you can almost go down to a whisper and the audience leans in because, oh, he's going to tell us a secret. Make your point and then go back to a normal volume. Because if you're whispering the whole time, it really takes a lot of energy for people to listen to you. The whole time you know seinfeld made fun of this you know the the the, the low talkers right we so we don't want to whisper the whole time but again to make a certain point you can there's pace and speed most of us when we're in front of a room we're nervous and that sometimes comes out as talking a mile a minute because our body is so full oh. of, of sugar and we end up going through our content in five minutes even though when we practiced, it was 15. I see that all the time. I I think just take a deep breath. Let's talk specifically around speed. How do we fix that? Because most of us recognize when we're nervous, we speed up. So one of the things we can do, particularly if you're doing this face-to-face or you're in a room and you've got a colleague or a peer there, just have them, you know, talk to them ahead of time and say, hey, you know, Dolly, when I get nervous, I go fast. Can you just give me a subtle signal? And do something like, you know, put your finger on your forehead or something. <laughs> yeah. And when I'm talking, I'm going really, really fast. And I'm looking around the room and I make eye contact with Dolly. And all of a sudden she's got her finger on, on her temple. I'm constantly tapping. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I need to slow down. So take a deep breath, pause, and then start slow. 
and the reality is you're probably going to pick up speed and within two minutes you're going to be talking middle miles an hour again and then i see her give me the signal again i pause take a deep breath and i slow down again i think that's good advice to have a tag team just to yeah, have someone in the room that you know that can support you or help you out so you don't feel like you're alone maybe that's it if you're an especially nervous type of person maybe that's your person to give eye contact to yeah because you should be making eye contact with your colleagues as well mm-hmm. and what we don't want is your boss in the back of the room doing the giant bird of prey going slow down <laughs> right because that's just it, it steals our credibility mm. when sure something does. like that sure does now, if you don't have a colleague or a or a, a, a buddy coach in the room, you you can even acknowledge the fact that you're that you're nervous and and tell your your customer that, hey, when I get in front of a room, I tend to talk really fast. If I'm going too fast, let me know. So you're just acknowledging the elephant in the room, right? And and that's okay. And if you're going too fast, hopefully they'll tell you. Now, the speed is really an important thing, too, if you have an accent or if you're speaking to an audience that doesn't, you know, have the same native language you do. They need time to translate what you're saying. And I don't mean literally, you know, have the translator, but they've got to, you know, they've got to turn through it in their head sometimes to make sure that they're understanding. Give them the time to do that. Slow down. And then there's pauses. Pauses are our friend. When we pause as a presenter for five or 10 seconds, it feels like five or 10 weeks. When we're in front of the room. <laughs> it sure does. That's it true. Does. It's yeah. yeah. Makes you feel like you've done, you're doing something wrong. It's so awkward. It, it, it is. It's awkward. And we want to fill the vacuum. Well, that's one of the reasons why so many of us use the filler words like, um, and that's like, so. and so makes sense because we're thinking about what we're going to say next. And we hate that vacuum, that silence. So we fill it with something. Well, that makes sense. I mean, it, it makes sense why so many people have that as a crutch. It's crutch. And it's better just to have a pause there while we think about it. And again, that takes practice. And again, that's why it's so important to record yourself because you'll see how often you're using some of those filler words. And individuals tend to use, you know, specific filler word or two. Um and like or from, in my case, so, once we're aware of that, then it's an opportunity for us to start fixing it. But pauses are good. So if you can pause for five or 10 seconds right before you make your point, even though your audience doesn't recognize how long the pause is, when the room goes silent for a few seconds, even that guy on his cell phone is going to look up. I call it the prairie dog. They look up, oh, what? what's, what's going on? Why is, there, why is no one talking? Now they're, oh, now, you know, they're completely open and actively listening. Then you can make your point. So it's like an auditory cue that you're about to say something important. Sometimes we say something that we know is going to be controversial or is going to be shocking. And if that's the case, when you say that controversial or shocking thing, pause for a few seconds and let it sink in. Because if it's something that they, you know, if, if it's a big insight, they may need to sit there and say, huh, I never thought of it that way before. And they need to process it for a few seconds. But if you just launch into your next thing, 
Now they've got to make the decision. Do I listen to what she's saying or do I listen to the things she just told me that was really important? It might be a good opportunity too, if that's such a powerful statement to maybe repeat it. Maybe. I agree. Because what you're doing is you're buying time for them to think about that important thing and confirm that's what they just heard. So pauses, pauses are our friend. Another thing, and I've seen you do it, and I know other people do it too, is kind of get that response back. Like, do you understand? Does that make sense? Reinforce that you, they're following along with what you're saying. Well, particularly when we're doing things like we, you know, in the moment they ask us a question and we use an analogy that we just came up with off the top of our head, doesn't necessarily mean it made sense. Or we assumed what they meant but we answered the wrong question. Hmm. So I, I'm not sure if we talked about this yesterday or not, but you know, when someone says, you know, our, our product is too expensive, we immediately assume they're talking about price, but they may be talking about budget or they may be talking about um, related cost, cost of change management, for example, that really isn't price related. And if we, you know, if, if we're going off on price, well, we're answering the wrong question. And so it's good to, to, well, before we even answer, it's better to clarify exactly what they mean, dig a little bit deeper, but even in just in conversation during the presentation, or if we're talking about something that's complex, asking, do you understand? Or was that clear is a good thing to do. Yeah, because if, if they're just nodding, they might still not understand what you're saying. Oh, okay. So that's really interesting yeah. that you say that. Because I agree. Because when, we, when we're telling somebody something and we see them nodding, how do we receive that? That they get it. Okay, they're nodding. They agree with me. But lots of times in conversation, watch yourself. When someone's explaining something to you that's, that's, that's complex, I find myself nodding along the whole time, not necessarily because I understand or agree with it, but to show I'm listening. I see you nodding right now as I was saying that, right? So I want you to, it's a good thing to be aware of is just because someone's nodding doesn't mean they agree. It can be a signal that they're listening. Active listening. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what I'm doing when I'm nodding. You see me nodding. I was like, it's a slight agreement and active listening. For me, it's kind of a both, both scenarios. Yeah. No, agreed. And, and we don't even realize we're doing it. Right. Right. As as an audience member, we don't realize we're doing it. But that's what we often perceive as, oh, they agree with me. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily the case. True. Body language has always intrigued me. And I I feel like I kind of prefer to be in person to speak to people just to read their body language. Kevin has some pretty amazing workshops lined up. You've got to check him out. His website is deliberateconsulting.com and you can find Kevin on LinkedIn, Kevin Palo. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for being on the show today. This was so much fun. We've got one more episode left. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please subscribe to Making It to Market wherever you listen to podcasts or listen from our website, makingittomarket.com. Thank you for your honest five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And a special thanks to our listeners and show sponsors, because without your support, I wouldn't be able to do this. As you know, Making It to Market is a new show and I need your help to get the word out. Feel free to share links to your favorite episodes. You don't want to miss 
is the next one where we talk about overcoming anxiety. If there's a topic you'd like to hear, have a comment, or even a question you'd like for me to address, feel free to leave me a voice message on our podcast phone line. And if we air your question or comment in an upcoming episode, we'll send you a Making It to Market t-shirt or mug. Details are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Until the next time, make decisions that make a difference.